Man, it is good to be home and be with you this morning. And uh, thank you for your prayers. Thank you for upholding us in uh, prayer. Uh, believe me when I say that the prayers of the saints are vital in sustaining the community of the kingdom of God. And we felt that practically last week. Um, and so I'm going to be, I'm not going to say anything, but just being recorded. We're going to do a report next week, so uh, be here. And uh, the team will be here. And I'm going to I'm gonna preach very quickly from a passage in Matthew 24. And uh, we'll do a report on our trip and, and all that good stuff. So you will hear that and, and we'll give you details. It will not be put on the internet so that we can be explicit and not expose um, our people. Um, make sense? And so, um, and so we'll talk explicitly next week, okay? And so for the meantime, we're going to jump back into Acts 9.32, and we're going to go through Acts 10.48 today, and our title uh, is The Kingdom Strikes Back. I'll say more about that in just a moment. So if you would join me in prayer, and let's get after it. Father, in the name of Jesus, for your glory and for our joy this morning, we come before you and ask that you would do all that we could ever ask or imagine to build the kingdom this morning. When I pray for the advance of the kingdom into the dark recesses of the world, that the nations today would, would bow and worship King Jesus. We pray now that you would sustain and keep our people and our friends and our partners today and ask that in all things, Jesus would be lifted high, the kingdom would go forward, your name would be made great, your will be done on this earth as it is done in heaven. We ask now in this room, Holy Spirit, you to do your work of teaching, guiding, counseling, and reminding of everything the Lord Jesus has said. We ask you to come against the lies of our culture that put your kingdom in last place for many. And that subdued, even almost oppressive Spirit that sits over us now. We pray you to come against. Come against it. We pray in Jesus' name for your glory and for our joy. Do war for us now and help us to war well. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I put on the notes a link for you to go read a fantastic article because I'm stealing the article's title for our title today. It's It's been probably the most um, impactful article written by anybody that I've ever read in the history of reading articles uh, on my on my practice as a pastor. Um, in, in the life of our church, although many of you probably never read this article, this article was assimilated into practice long before we planted Three Rivers Church uh, 13 plus years ago um, by Ralph D. Winter uh, from Fuller Seminary. And the title is called The Kingdom Strikes Back. It was written about the time the movie was coming out, The Empire Strikes Back. And uh, so he, he played off that title and talking about uh, ten periods in Christian history and the advance of the kingdom of God to the nations. And and the reason I, I, I ripped that title off and I linked that article on the notes that are on the blog, MitchJolly.com. You can click the link, go straight to the article. Don't read it now. That's not what this time is for. You can do that later. He just unpacks just Christian history and how we look in the past, how the kingdom of God has advanced to the frontiers. And it's phenomenal reading, and it's, it's absolutely impactful reading, because you can now look at how God has worked in history, and to some degree, with the Scripture's guidance, look forward into what we can expect to a degree. It's not predictive, it's simply a look in history at how the church has advanced the kingdom of God through the preaching of the gospel and helps us to look forward on to what we can anticipate. Because what we see in our passage today in Acts 9, 32 through 10, 48, is the continual pushing forward of the kingdom of God. There's an 
outward flow. Not just in message, but in geography. We'll see that in just a moment. And so, we've seen in the book of Acts so far, we've seen the powerful kingdom of God burst with the giving of the Holy Spirit to fill His people and empower them so that what Jesus said would be true, greater works than these you will do because you're my disciples. So He gave us His Spirit so that we could go and do greater works than He did. Yes, those are Jesus' words. That's not hope. That's not possibility. That is reality. And if we're not living in that, that's not Jesus' fault. It's not the kingdom's fault. It's our fault. Okay? Got it? And so, Jesus said that, and He gave us His Spirit, and He sent us on a mission to disciple the nations. And we're going to see something in a few weeks. We're going to worship together with the other campus on August the 14th. It'll be here, because we have Radical Kids' capacity for both our campuses to be together. And hopefully everybody will be back from vacation and be be together. Uh, because we, we need to make sure we don't forget why we're here. We're not here to provide comfortable services to consumers. We're an outpost of the kingdom of God, which is what the church is, on the frontiers of the kingdom. Anything less than that is not the church. It's a civic organization providing services for... I'm going to be very careful what I say. Soft people. There's nothing to what we read in this passage that lends itself to being consumers. Church... There's nothing in this passage that lends itself to safety. It's a lie. There is no such thing as safety. Lest you think what happened to us this past weekend is abnormal. Listen, we just have it. We have this filter. Everybody's got it. It's called the worldview. We can watch the news and all the people killed in Atlanta and on Interstate 75. Oh, shame. But if somebody blows themselves up in Kabul, man, we don't need to go there. That's dangerous. But how many people get back on Interstate 75? You see what I'm saying? Interstate 75 is safe. Kabul, not safe. No. More people die on Interstate 75 than they do in Kabul. It's just our filter lets Interstate 75 through because we bought the lie. That somehow God values safety. And there's nothing in the Bible that tells us God is concerned primarily with my safety. That doesn't mean we're fools and we act foolishly. It simply means that that's not concern number one. Does that make sense? And so what we see in our passage is that Jesus is given a mission to disciple the nations... And we see in Acts the church actively pursuing that. And so we've seen powerful Holy Spirit given church moving out. We've seen persecution. We've seen gospel preaching. We've seen the lost transformed. We come upon our passage today. God saved Saul. He saved an ISIS member. Pardon the modern terminology. He wasn't ISIS. Golly, said Paul was ISIS. No, I didn't. Don't be dumb. He was a terrorist. He was killing Christians and Jesus saved him. Jesus didn't invite him into the kingdom. Jesus didn't knock at the door of his heart. Jesus knocked him off his horse and said, You're mine. You're my chosen instrument. You will be my voice to the Gentiles. Let's roll. And what we're going to see now in the Acts is the ministry of Saul, who will be Paul, preaching to the frontier. And Luke is telling us this so that we will do likewise. It's not for us to sit and go, oh, wow, that's a cool story. Awesome. Let's go get some ice cream. Nothing wrong with ice cream. Had some last night. The point is, go and do likewise. Make sense? So church, it's our job 
to be like this. Whether we're senders or goers, the goal isn't to look at this and read this and go, oh, that's awesome. Man. The goal is to be this. As a sending organization, to be this. And last week you participated gloriously as you upheld us in prayer. And, and, and by the way, that's not to stop. Because we still have our members all over. And they need you. So you're senders. Make sense? So we don't stop. We continue. And we put it in the right context. We come to our passage today, Acts 9, 32-10-48. And we're going to see that the kingdom is striking back. The kingdom of God is moving forward. It's not stagnant. It's not regressing. It is striking forward and moving forward because that's the mission to disciple the nations. Luke, as an author, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, likes sequels. You look at Luke's chapter 15, he tells stories in, in sequels, and then sometimes he tells them in trilogies. Luke 15 is a trilogy of parables. It's the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And your little title in your Bible calls it prodigal son. It's better titled the lost son. The lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. Point, Jesus seeks the lost. And so what Luke wants us to understand is Jesus is actively seeking the lost. We come to Acts 9, 32 through 10, 48, and Luke tells us a trilogy of stories. The healing of Aeneas, the healing of Dorcas. I like her, I like her Aramaic name, Tabitha, better. Because I'm, I'm still, I may be 43, but I'm still a child. And Dorcas, <laughs> yeah. Don't name your child, but if you did, we love you and love them. But anyway, the healing of Aeneas, the healing of Tabitha, and the healing of Cornelius. And the point of those three historical accounts is that Jesus fixes what's broken, whether it be physical, whether it be spiritual, all for the purpose of bringing people to himself. And so that's really, that's really sort of the underneath. The, the, the kingdom strikes back. How does it strike back? It strikes back in healing and fixing and saving. And Luke gives us three accounts of such right here. Chapter 10, verse 1 to 48, being the last in the trilogy. Just like a good trilogy, like the last one leaves you going, ah, Right? Which is why you don't make past the trilogy because you just messed the story up, right? It leaves you going, yeah. Luke leaves us here with the healing of Cornelius as a turning point in the narrative because this is where the Gentile mission really, really launches. Because what we'll see here in Cornelius is one of those Gentiles who will be the launching point for how the church is going to have to wrestle with the inclusion of people who don't look like them, smell like them, and act like them. And we're going to see that wrestling through the rest of the book. You're going to see it in the book of Galatians. How do Jews and Gentiles do life together with two different sets of values and coming under the values of God's kingdom that trump their own personal values? And Luke's going to introduce us to that struggle in the turning point of chapter 10, verse 1 to 48. The kingdom always strikes back. The kingdom cannot be held down because the mission is all nations. Right now, all nations don't believe, so therefore the kingdom's going to always be striking back. And that's going to be the reality of the tension that we are to live with as the church. So observations, what do we see? What does it mean? And then we're going to look at what we do with it. Observation number one. The gospel is always moving toward the frontier and not camping within the walls. Take, just thank God for Eric... Uh, Croft did a phenomenal job last week. Um, faithful preaching of the text. We're thankful for Eric. And he preached through this passage. But I want to pop up to verse 31 to help us slide into our passage today. And verse 31 says, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. God granted them a season of peace and they were being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it what? Multiplied. Multiplied. The gospel 
of the kingdom is always moving toward the frontier, not camping within the walls. Now what we're going to see is Luke properly follows that statement up on the church multiplying with three stories of healing. Aeneas, Tabitha, and Cornelius. Now what's interesting and what you don't see in the text unless you're paying attention is that it starts in Lydda, moves to Joppa, then up the coast to Caesarea. Now what's interesting is Lydda is west of Jerusalem. Jerusalem's the epicenter. Where's Peter moving? Away from, to the frontier. So we get a step out, so to speak. So what we see here is the kingdom's always multiplying. It tells us in verse 31, they are multiplying, they are growing, the kingdom's always moving forward. So what we find is Peter here is moving away from the epicenter to the frontiers. And so he moves over to Lydda. Then he moves over to Joppa on the coast. And since he can't go further west because there's the Mediterranean Sea, the next stop is up the coast further away from the epicenter toward the frontier. The kingdom is always multiplying, moving forward, not camping within the walls. What do we do with this fact? What do we do with this reality? Well, number one, we are to be, verse 31, we are to be in the fear of the Lord and the comfort and counsel of the Holy Spirit multiplying. Let's not skip over that reality. What a glorious description of the community of the kingdom of God, the church. If the church isn't walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit multiplying, it's failing to be the church. These aren't things we talk about in the West, are they? We talk about how to do more services and nice things for people so that they'll come to our thing. Not walking in the fear of Jesus. That doesn't mean terror. Okay? We don't hear the fear of the Lord properly because we have a Western worldview and we watch too many movies and we hear fear of the Lord and think terror. That's not the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is what Piper calls a white-knuckled holding on to. A belief that He is right and He is true and I will hold on, come what may. I will obey Him, come what may. Because there is nothing else. There is no one else. He is King. And I will obey Him. That's the fear of the Lord. He said, disciple the nations and we're going to do it. If it costs me my life, we'll obey. Because Jesus is better than life. Fear of the Lord. And then the comfort of the Holy Spirit because Jesus said that's what He'll do. The comforter, the counselor. The one who walks along beside us. He'll teach us what to do and how to do it. When we don't know what to do, He will teach us. And then what? It multiplies. Why? Because living things multiply. Alright? So, we're to live like that. So, what else do we do with this? Well, Number two, the, the church... Fearing the Lord and walking in the counsel and comfort of the Holy Spirit should be taking new territory. Should be taking new territory. Which leads to the third point, and that is of of what do we do with this, is the church has to avoid internal fixation. We have to avoid. Notice Peter isn't hanging out in Jerusalem worried about how to make it better for the people showing up to service on Sunday. And, and I would argue that in the West, the majority of what we do is worry about how to do Sunday morning smoother and cleaner and neater. And that makes me nervous. Because that doesn't at all match what we read here, does it? Not at all. Matter of fact, I find this very interesting. Nowhere in the New Testament does it tell us how to do a worship service doesn't otherwise every church would do it the same way and it would look the same but it doesn't you want to know why because he doesn't tell us how to do it why because he's not real concerned about that he's concerned with us discipling the nations And so, the church has to avoid internal fixation. I understand this makes people uncomfortable because we're in the West and we want internal fixation. We want more nice and comfort and ease and, and, and stuff. 
I want to go to the stuff mart, right, and get more stuff. And the church is a good stuff mart. And if the church doesn't have the stuff I want, I go to another one who has better stuff. That's the West. That's the church in the West. And our brothers and sisters in the East don't get it. They, they actually, I think I told you this a few weeks ago, this, this, this friend, this Syrian who's in his 80s, who's been persecuted, been in prison for the gospel, written a lot of stuff I got a, a chance to spend the week with, walked into where we were teaching church planters at a very large church in Orlando, Florida. And all the flash and the pomp, and he walked in and said, you need less flash, more repent. And he left. He's like, I don't need this. I listen to people who've been in prison for the sake of the gospel. So, so we have to avoid this internal fixation about getting more stuff. And we have to push for external engagement. You see, though, listen, church, this requires full participation. This, this doesn't, this doesn't, this doesn't mean that the 20% who do 80% of the work need to do more. As a matter of fact, listen, I want to say this to you. If you're a Three Rivers member and you're working your tail off, don't do any more. Don't add to your plate anything else and let the back side ride. Because many are more concerned about internal fixation than they are kingdom advancement. And so if you're doing the work and you are outlaid all you can, don't do more. Obey Jesus. Find your identity in Him. And if the backside bounces, so be it. It's time for others to step up and do their job. Or go somewhere else. And then they'll go somewhere else, and they'll go somewhere else, and they'll go somewhere else, and they'll come back here, and they'll go somewhere else, which is Rome, Georgia. We hop to the place that we like until we get tired of it or we get offended. Then we move to the next one, then the next one, then the next one, then the next one, then the next one. Then we come full circle. I'm like, boy, this is just really good stuff. I'm like, get saved, man. You need to quit following pastors and ministries and follow Jesus. This requires full participation, not a continued outlay by the 20%. So we have to avoid this internal fixation. Walk in the fear of the Lord, comfort of the Spirit, multiply. We say this right in our DNA, KDSC, kingdom. The gospel kingdom makes disciples in domains of society. And from that, the church grows and multiplies. The, the problem is we just don't have a lot of disciples. We've got a lot of people who love services in Roman Floyd County, not a lot of disciples. So if you've been transformed by the gospel, your job as a disciple is to make disciples. So start doing so. Does that make sense? And don't, listen, listen very carefully. I want to be careful. I'm not rebuking you. I think we do well. You've heard me say this a lot. And I just recognize, it's almost 14 years of doing this, people are going to hear what they want to hear, no matter what you say. Okay? That's just, that's reality. So I want you to hear this. We do better than most. Not many churches in Roman Floyd County. Matter of fact, I know none who have planted the churches we've planted and are in process of planting churches and started other campuses. Only us. Amen. Praise God. Now, there's some who've done other campuses and they pipe in the video preacher guy because there's nobody else, right? Not us. We believe God raises it. By the way, pastor training starts August 17th. If you do 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 7, and you have a desire to go first, die first, lead the way, your character's intact, come see me, okay? We'll get you on the program. Train you to be a pastor, church planner, and start another campus and start another church, okay? So, open invitation, men. Hear it? Open invitation, men. Not an exclusive club. Men, open invitation. Got four going through this year. Still time to get in, okay? All right? Now, we're not going to let you in past August 17 because it's tough. It's rigorous. There's work to do. It's not for bystanders. Okay? I anticipate out of that four, some may drop out. Right? If you can't handle reading a book, you're not going to be able to handle war. Make sense? So some may drop out. But next year we'll come back around. 
But it's going to require full participation. It's going to require us obeying the Scriptures, doing what Jesus said. So don't hear me rebuking you. I'm challenging you. I'm challenging Roman Floyd County. I'm challenging the people who listen to this online to get in the game. Start making disciples. Everybody be committed to the task. Constantly be looking, number four, for opportunities to multiply and expand and include others and grow in covenant community. Constantly be looking for opportunities to multiply and expand and include others and grow in covenant community. There's a myth that goes around about radical life groups that you've got to be a teacher. We don't do radical life groups that require you to be a teacher. Our group does not have a teacher. It's not how it works. Radical life groups should work on everybody contributing. You know what we do? We gather, we pray, we discuss the sermon, we eat and go home. And rely on the Holy Spirit to gift us with insight on the passage. And we share with each other. Don't we, guys in that group? Ain't no teachers. I don't teach. I teach enough. I don't want to go on Sunday night and teach more. As a matter of fact, I sometimes say the least unless they ask me questions. And I, and I'm, I, don't know. And I do answer because I like to teach, but... But the point is, it's not about a teacher. It's about discipling. Making disciples. So you know what? We don't need teachers. We need people who are willing to just go and engage and open your home and say, you know what? I'm going to take a few people, bring them into my council, and we're going to grow together in the Lord. Think Holy Spirit can do that in you? Absolutely. So you know what it's going to require? It's going to require us to be looking for opportunities to multiply ourselves and disciple people. So that's point number one, and I'm going to really speed through here. What else do we see? What do we observe? Well, we see the healing of Aeneas in chapter 9, verse 32 to 35. Now, as Peter went here and there among them all, this is pretty awesome, because what we see here is Luke is telling us about three instances. But he starts the trilogy of accounts out by saying he went here and there among them all. Peter was Peter was just out among the church. The church had multiplied, and he was making his visits to making his rounds to the churches, which is an awesome picture that that this this church had multiplied, and they were trying to shepherd all these congregations, which is pretty cool. Which is, I don't have time for a strategy talk, but multiple congregations, which we're trying to do that in campuses. So he's going here and there. They're multiplying disciples among them all, but Luke narrows. Down on to three, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and take up your bed. Now what we don't know from this passage is if Aeneas is a believer or not. The assumption is that he is. Because what we read next kind of draws a distinction here. And immediately he rose, verse 35, and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, comma, continues on, and they turned to the Lord. So what the text implies is that Peter, by the power of the gospel, heals this cat and he gets up and he's made well. And the whole town hears about it. And what happens as a result? They what? Turn to the Lord. So what we see in this passage is the healing of Aeneas. That Peter's ministering. They're making disciples. The church is multiplying. And Peter visits. And by Jesus' power and gospel proclamation, Aeneas is healed. And that healing brings word to the whole town. And as a result of it, many turn to the Lord. Let's look at the healing of Tabitha, verse 9, 36 to 43. Now, there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha. He used her Aramaic name, thank you. Which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and, and acts of charity. In those days, she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since little was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was still with them. 
But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. Almost the exact same words Jesus used when he raised another person. So he's just repeating what Jesus taught him. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And what? It became known throughout all Joppa. And what? Many believed in the Lord. It's a common theme here, isn't it? It's a common theme, which we can make a couple of conclusions. This is not in your notes, but conclusion number one. God does supernatural work to draw attention to the gospel. I'm totally convinced that one of the reasons in the West we don't see too much of this kind of stuff is we don't really care to proclaim the gospel all that much. I'm very afraid that the West is ashamed of the gospel. Not us. I, we, we're pretty darn sure we're not ashamed of the gospel. But how much public proclamation do we really do? No, ma'am, not a lot, do we? Could that be because we maybe don't believe it's powerful? Could it be that maybe we're afraid of what people are going to think of us? I mean, they're really kind of those exclusivist kind of right-wing nut jobs who think Jesus is kind of it, you know? I don't know if you recognize this or not, but God has been so good, so good to us to shoehorn us into the margin so that we can't claim a side and hide the gospel under a political banner anymore. <laughs> He's so good. He's put us in a position where we can't do it anymore. We can't hide anymore. We're fully, if you're going to stand with Jesus, you're just going to have to be fully exposed. And the values of the kingdom are going to have to be bigger than the values of this world. And oh, how good He is to do that to us. Because you know what we're really going to see is who's in. And who really believes that Caesar is Lord? And so what we see here is that Jesus does supernatural things to highlight the gospel. And how do we know this? Because many believed. The point isn't the healing. The point is that as a result of the healing, people saw the power of the gospel, believed Jesus, and they were saved. Listen, church, Jesus said, I'm giving you the Spirit so greater works than these you can do. Jesus said that. We either believe that or we need to get off the wagon. Jesus will do work in and through us and draw attention to Himself. But we got to be doing the work. We can't be content to be part of the 20 who ride the co- or part of the 80 who ride the coattails of the 20. The community of the kingdom is made up of 100% of the people doing 100% of the work, sharing the load. If you're in the 80% who do nothing, don't expect cool stuff. You're not going to see it. You may hear reports of it and long for it, but you're not going to see it. Jesus did supernatural things to draw attention to His kingdom, and He saved people. What do we do with these two Two accounts here. Well, we got to take seriously the need to encourage the church wherever she's scattered. This is something we need to make sense of. We've focused on our people group, the P's. Okay? We'll talk more about that explicitly next week. But the more we've focused in 13 plus years, the more God has raised up out of us to go to places not P-focused. And what we've found is we have to take seriously the need to encourage our people wherever they're scattered, whether they're focused on the P or not. Which is part of what we were trying to do here last week. We see Peter went around here and there, encouraging, strengthening the body. Part of our job is to not just shepherd here, but wherever God sends our people. So how do we be P-focused and care for our people? It's a good question. We're trying to figure that out. That means I need to be on more planes. I'll be on more planes. That needs, means I need to get you with me on more planes. We'll get you with us on more planes. But His people, who are in covenant relationship with us, need ministering to. 
So we take seriously that need. Number two, we understand that signs and wonders draw attention to the powerful kingdom of Jesus so that unbelieving people will be drawn to Jesus. Signs and wonders are one of the ways Jesus draws people to himself. And so therefore, if we engage in the mission, we can expect signs and wonders and we expect Jesus to save people. I just, I love how Acts presents Jesus saving people. It is so not what we think of it as. It's Jesus knocking people off horses and going, you're with me. Okay. I want that. I'm good. I'm okay with that. I want to see that. I want to experience that more. We've seen some of that in our places. And heck, we've seen some of that here in Rome. We've seen some of that in our own fellowship. I want more of that. And then third, we disciple those who are drawn to Jesus and we build up the church. Notice verse 43. And he stayed in Joppa many days. We have to be committed to discipling the people that the Lord brings to Himself. And listen, that can't be your pastors. That's you. It's your job. Your pastors can't do any more. That's everybody's job. Everybody is to be making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. That's 100% of the people doing 100% of the work. Does that make sense? So it's all of our jobs to be discipling people. Peter set that example for us. You can do this in radical life groups as we invite our lost friends to come and see and taste Jesus. We can do this by inviting wandering Christians to come and learn and follow Jesus with us. Fourth, the healing of Cornelius. So we've seen the outward move of the gospel, the healing of Aeneas, the healing of Tabitha slash Dorcas, and now fourth, the healing of Cornelius. Remember, we've told you already, 10, 1 to 48 is a turning point. It's an absolute turning point in the story. From this point, we're going to see how the church wrestles with how to include Gentiles and not make them try to be Jews. And we're going to see as the explosion of the kingdom of God to the nations. We're going to see the kingdom strike back. There are great lessons here. And we're going to look very quickly at each section, okay? I might not have time to read it all. But we're going to look 10, 1 to 8, 10, 9 to 23a, and then 10, 23b to 48. We're going to do this very quickly, okay? You're like, oh my gosh, it's 11, 24. He's not done. We've got 48 verses. We're going to move through quickly, okay? What are some lessons we can learn here? 10, 1 to 8. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion. Now, what's a centurion? Roman soldier. He's a ward, not a ward. He is a servant of Caesar. He's a Gentile, not a Jew. Okay? A centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. A devout man who feared God with all his household. So he's a God-fearer. What's a God-fearer? A God-fearer was a Gentile who had converted to Judaism. Not in the kingdom. Don't miss here. He's not in the kingdom. The kingdom is worshiping Jesus by grace through faith in Jesus alone. It's not enough to take your sacrifices to the temple. He's not in the kingdom yet. Got it? He's God-feared though. He's moving, moving up, moving close, still not in. With all his household, gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius... Like, what else was he going to say? <laughs> Call him by name. And he stared at him in terror. That's not fear, that's terror. That's a difference, right? <laughs> if she says, terror, I would be in the same boat. Whoa, who are you? What are you? And said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. God's been at work in Cornelius. And he's bringing him into the kingdom. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon a tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants, a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. God's preparing Cornelius. God's at work in Cornelius. 
He's given him a vision. He sent an angel. He's let him know, I know who you are. Got something to tell you. I want you to send some folks. I want you to get this guy named Peter, and I want you to have him come to you. So God's preparing Cornelius, which just not even in the notes. Listen, God is always preparing the people he's going to save. And the means of salvation is the gospel preached from your lips and mine. Because what's going to happen here is Peter's going to have to go and say something. The gospel isn't how you act. Please never let a Three Rivers person put on any social media or let exit your lips this statement. Preach the gospel at all times and when necessary use words. Never say that. It's untrue. The gospel is a message that has to be spoken. Otherwise, God wouldn't send people to tell it. And then He wouldn't have wrote Romans 10. There's no such thing as gospel communicated by... You see what I'm saying? There's no gospel in serving people. It's what happens as a result of the gospel, but it in itself is not the gospel. So God's preparing Cornelius. I want you to go get this guy. He's got something to tell you. But look at verse 9 through 23a. The Lord is also preparing Peter for frontier work. Remember, Peter's a Jew. Jews don't eat anything unclean. Don't eat pork. Don't eat shellfish. Which, by the way, shellfish. There's a phenomenal Jim Gaffigan bit on shellfish. YouTube that. It's solid gold. Right? And people are like, that's why you're not supposed to eat shellfish. Like, Jesus said it's all clean. Whatever. Anyway, so Peter's a good Jew. Don't eat shellfish. Don't eat anything with skin on it out of the water. Don't eat pork. Don't, don't wear mixed fabric. All these laws, right, that are supposed to help him love God and love neighbor, the very essence of the law. And, and Peter's, Peter's there. And, and, and who's dirty, right? Everybody but Jews. But what's God about to do? He's about to save a sin, not only a Gentile, but one like killed Jesus. Did you think Peter's ready for that? Nope. Matter of fact, we're going to read in Galatians, Peter's going to wrestle with that for a long time in his ministry. Because Paul has to rebuke him to his face. Because he's hanging out with the Gentiles. When the Jews show up, he withdraws from the Gentiles. And Gentiles are confused. Why don't you like us anymore? And Peter and Peter has to get rebuked, and Paul has to say, what you're doing is not in line with the truth of the gospel. You need to repent. So Peter's going to wrestle with this. And so Peter has to be prepared. And verse 9 through 23a is how that happens. And the next day they were on their journey and approaching the city. Peter went on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. All right? that's, that's like six in the morning. I'm sorry, it's uh, noon. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. There came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, what God has made clean, do not call common glory. Thus, this happened three times. And the thing was taken up at once to heaven. While Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate. And called out to ask whether Simon, who is called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was wondering or pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. Now what do you think this vision really was about? It's about the fact that I don't want you to be afraid of Gentiles. They're not common. They're image bearers. And as he's pondering this, just look what happens. There happen to be three Gentiles show up at the door. And so Peter's going, wow, nothing common. Okay, all right, all right, all right. I get it, I get it, Lord, I'm hearing you. 
oh, now there are three not common image bearers at my door. What am I supposed to do? Go with them. Okay. Right. And they said, Cornelius, Cornelius the centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them to be his guests. <laughs> so old Peter's starting to have the walls knocked down. Gentiles are pretty okay people. They're, okay, they're not that bad. So the next day he rose and went with them and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. So we got three Gentiles, Peter, and some other followers of Jesus going with Peter. And they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and his close friends. He wanted to make sure nobody missed the message. And when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. That's one of the reasons we know he's not converted. He's worshipping Peter. He's an unregenerate pagan. Verse 26, But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I'm a man too. Get on your feet. I'm not God. All right? And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate or to go visit anyone of another nation. Unlawful to be with Muslims. It's not culturally appropriate to be with Muslims and gay people. Is it? Is it? No, no, no. God forbid you be one of those people who like sinners. Peter goes, you yourselves know that it's unlawful. It's, it's against the cultural norm for me to be here. But God has shown me, here's how Peter interpreted the vision. God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. Why? Because they're image bearers. They're broken. They're not saved, but they're image bearers. And so God has showed me you're not common and unclean. Verse 29. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, why have you sent for me? Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who's called Peter. He's lodging in the house of Simon a Tanner by the sea, so I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Isn't that awesome? Don't you want evangelistic encounters like that? Tell me! Had a vision. You're here. Talk to me. We get to see some of that in our country. You've been in a van with guys who said, I had a dream and we were in this van and you were here. Why are you here? Tell me. That's just cool. And that happens here. Isn't that awesome? So Peter opened it. That can happen here too. It does happen here i got stories of people early in the life of our church that the Lord brought here. Irish Catholics and Jews married and God saved them and sent them to other nations. That's a true story. Dreams, visions. That's real. That's not fake make-believe. That's what the kingdom does. So Peter opened his mouth. He opened his mouth. He didn't act. He didn't say, watch me serve. He opened his mouth and said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. Why? Because Jesus said to disciple the nations. As for the word that He sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, He's Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism of John was proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit. He's preaching the gospel. <laughs> right? And with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. Not to all the people, but to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Boom! Drop the G-bomb. 
And by the way, does that sound like a gospel tract you've ever read? Or a gospel presentation you've been trained to give? No, it was contextual. Peter knew who he was talking to, and he dropped the essence of the gospel of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection on him from what the prophets preached. Isn't that cool? That's stinking awesome. And you can do that too. That's what we're supposed to be doing. He knew where he was, knew what to say, because you all you should know the gospel. If you're in Christ, you know the gospel. If you're not in Christ, you don't know the gospel. Then you need to hear this good news, and you just heard it. You need to be saved. And if you get saved by the gospel, we know what the gospel is. Now it's your job to disciple. Isn't that cool? It's not hard, not rocket science. Fisherman Peter doing it right here. I love how God picked just not your just run-of-the-mill image bearers. Isn't that cool? Fisherman Peter preaching the gospel. And look what happens. Look what happens. Remember, Jesus said, Greater things than these you will do, because I go to the Father. You'll see it? You ready? Here it is. And while Peter was still saying these things, I love that statement. He didn't get done. He didn't even get finished. While he was still saying these things, the Spirit fell on them as they heard the Word. No invitation. No card to sign. No heart door to get knocked on. Isn't this cool? Spirit falls on them. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed. Now that's a key statement. Believers from among the circumcised. Who's that? Jews who've been saved. And what are they? They are amazed. Why are they amazed? Because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. He saved a bunch of unclean people and gave them just what we have. That's a big statement. You know why? Because you know what God just did? He just put Jew and Gentile on the same plane as equal. And they saw it. And they said, just like we got, they got. This is the Gentile Pentecost. Jesus is testifying that His church is equal. That all those in Him stand on even ground before Him as equal people. Together, one body under Christ. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. And they were hearing them speak in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptism from these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Can we keep them out of the church? That's a rhetorical question, by the way. He's not asking for approval. How can we hold them out? They've received the Spirit just like we have. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked him to remain for some days. How cool is that? Awesome. Jesus saves Gentiles, puts them on the same plane as Jews. Same Holy Spirit, one body under Christ. They're all baptized, one church. And Peter stays and does some discipleship work. What do we do with this? Number one, we understand that the Father is working a providential plan. I'll say more about that next week. This was God's purpose. This is He doesn't tell us why Peter went to Lydda and to Joppa. Other than Joppa, they called for him after he went to Lydda, but he's going here and about preaching. He's just doing his job. And as he's doing the job, an opportunity opens for him to go over here. And as he's there and people get saved, then another opportunity opens up. And as he's doing that opportunity, guess what? Another window opens up. He's just following opportunity. Why? Because that's how God works. He's providential. He moves in a mysterious way. He has wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Unless you know who wrote that song, you don't understand the impact of it. William Cowper. William Cowper, 1800s, wrestled hard with deep, dark depression his whole life. Was going to drive his carriage off into the Thames River to commit suicide. Got lost in the fog. Horse took him back home. He went in and penned that song. Why? Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. <laughs> but God is his own interpreter. He will make it plain. I don't know why Peter went to Lydda and Joppa except God was directing his steps until the moment that he had the vision. It became clear he was supposed to go up there and preach. And when he did, what happened? Jesus did his work. Peter didn't do anything exceptional. Peter just obeyed. 
Jesus did exceptional work. So we understand Father's working a providential plan. Two, our job is to hear and obey. We say this, discipleship, hear and obey, hear and obey, hear and obey. Not more complicated than that. Hear, obey. Right? Hear and obey. It's all Peter's doing. Peter's not doing exceptional work, y'all. You understand, Peter's not special. And the Lord goes to great measures to show us that because Peter denied him. Peter's not special. He's just hearing and obeying. Jesus is special. Number three, we're to expect the Lord to expand our comfort levels. Expect the Lord to expand your comfort level. He definitely pushed Peter's, didn't he? Expect him to push yours. If you love Jesus, Jesus is going to push your comfort levels. If you follow Jesus, He's going to push your comfort levels. The job of the Christian is not to remain where they're comfortable, but to strike back with the kingdom. To be on the frontier of kingdom work. So if you're uncomfortable, good news. That's where you ought to be. But we've been taught to hang out where it's comfortable. And the very movement of Western culture is toward comfort, isn't it? That's not the kingdom. The kingdom's movement is toward where hell's breaking loose. Bob told us, some of you guys will get a chance to hear from Bob. He's coming here to do a pastor's lunch September the 6th. Um, sorry we can't have him here for the whole church. Uh, he's tight schedule. He does this for me because I'm one of his boys. And so um, you've read, some of you bought his book and you're reading. And we're in several of them. So he's going to be here and uh, we're going to have him for a little bit of time. And one of the things he told us, in night, let's see, 2001, right after September the 11th happened and the door opened for us to go do our work in our place. One of the things he taught us was this. There's a question. Where is hell breaking loose? Go there. Because usually that's where the spiritual war is at its greatest. That's not where we run from. That's where we are supposed to go to. That's the frontier. We're taught to run from. The kingdom says go to. He has to expand our comfort levels. The problem is we value the West. We don't value the kingdom. The kingdom is not the West. And the West is not the kingdom. I said that right. Yeah. That's not in the notes. Does that make sense? America is not the kingdom. The kingdom is not America. We're to value the kingdom first. The kingdom values Pushing the limits. Don't hear everybody's supposed to go. Hear everybody's supposed to obey Jesus. Sometimes that's going. Often that's staying and sending. But it's one or the other. It's never neither. We're to shamelessly preach the gospel, number four. Shamelessly preach the gospel. Indiscriminately preach the gospel. You can't go wrong dropping the gospel. Don't be a jerk. Be like Jesus. Tell the good news. Indiscriminately, shamelessly preach the gospel. Number five, we're to have the nations as our goal. What do we say? For the glory of God, we will disciple the nations by being and producing radical followers of Jesus. That's a big mission. We have a membership class that will be happening in the not too distant future. And some of you guys are going to be going through membership class. And most of you guys have gone through it. And a lot of folks from the new campus are going to be going through membership class. This is our epicenter. For the glory of God, disciple the nations. How do we do that? That's a big goal. Because right now, there are currently over 6,000 unreached people groups. Nations of people speak different languages, different cultures, where the gospel is not present. How are we supposed to do that? We can't. Alone. But what we can do is work among one. And what we can do is be and produce a radical follower of Jesus. What's a radical follower of Jesus? That's a person who we say has three relationships, up, in, and out. Relationship with God, relationship with each other, and an outward focus. We say communion, community, collision. We talk about releasing you to your domain. Here's how that happens. As you come and be part of this church and you do life together, we trust that God will use you in your domain of influence. And you know what that means? That means God's going to call more people out of our fellowship to go to these places. And you know what's happened in our almost 14 years of ministry? God has called more people out of our fellowship to more UPGs than we even can count or have taken record of. That's cool, by the way. 
I'll just give you a quick sampling here. I'm going to tell names and tell specific locations, but one particular couple God sent out of our fellowship to engage their domain is in a western, the western part of Africa in a very hostile place. They founded a hospital. They're doctors. Founded a hospital. And that hospital has made international news in the past couple of years as they treat people there in the name of Christ and make disciples. That came out of your church. The couple we were going to see and minister to and pioneer opportunities for our students to go and work this past week. Been there for 11 years. I discipled him in high school. Came to this church when we were founded. Married he and his wife out of this church. They went out of this church and been there 11 years. Numerous college students who've gone to do work all over the world. Why? Because our mission... It's for the glory of God, disciple the nations, and produce radical followers of Jesus. Radical followers of Jesus just hear and obey. And for some of you, that'll be global. God will put it in your heart, a desire to go international. You just obey Him. Some of you, it's stay right here and make disciples and support them and hold them up. But make disciples here. Either way, discipling here and there. Because the nation's... They're the goal. That's the mission. It's called the Great Commission. It's not like Jesus gave us an option on another vision. Because they get frustrated with church planners. They come up with these really strange visions about reaching certain demographics. I'm like, boy, that's short-sighted. They, I don't get to train a lot of church planners, mainly our guys, because I crush a lot of dreams. I'm a dream crusher. Because usually the dream is like, I want to reach 18 to 35-year-old hip-hop people. <sighs> Or I want to reach 18 to 35 year old white collar rich people. Can I share this? I'll say that. Can I share a passage of scripture with you? Sure, 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 sure. Go. Make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I'm with you to the end of the age. Make that your mission statement. I'm done. Move on, I don't even got other people I got. You see what I'm saying? We got these weird things, man, because we just want to be CEOs and we want to be rich and we want to be known and write books and people like us. Not obey Jesus. The the nations are our goal. Why? Because Jesus said to. I I don't know what else to do but obey the text. Does that make sense? And so Three Rivers Church, we will, for the glory of God, disciple the nations. And we'll produce radical followers of Jesus and trust that God will mobilize out of this body all He wants to go. We will obey. We will not do it alone. There are many other good fellowships doing this. We're not alone. But we will do what God's given us to do. And in that, we can help disciple the nations. And we don't give up on the vision. Stay unified in it. Push harder for it. Train. Release. Repeat. I don't want you to forget those three words. Train, release, repeat. This is good for you. Just train somebody, disciple somebody, release them to go disciple somebody else and then start over again. Train, release, repeat. And then we're a worshiping body. We're a worshiping body. We always end our time in the Word with Psalm 147.1. Praise the Lord for it is good. It is right and is fitting, Right? It is good to sing praises to our God. It is pleasant and a song of praise is fitting. We worship. We're a worshiping body. We worship among the nations. I'll quote here. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Throw a little piper on you. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Our, our goal in going to the nations is to bring them into the white hot enjoyment of Jesus Christ. If you're in Christ today, you get a chance to do that. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Let's pray. Father, for the glory of Jesus and the advancement of your kingdom, we pray that you would be glorified in our midst this morning. And Lord, um, my heart is full and there's so many things in my soul I want to say. And uh, you know what's in me right now. I'm tired. I'm wore out. Um, my heart's full. I got questions that I don't have answers to. And, and what I've got is your word that is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. Um, so Lord I want that to be enough and I just confess that to you and to my family this morning um, and I'm kind of wrestling with that being enough
But Lord, I pray that for me, that you would draw me into praise and that, uh, and that I would be satisfied with you alone. Lord, I pray for this fellowship that you would help us to be satisfied with you alone. If we don't have answers to some of our deepest, deepest questions, Lord, help us to find you to be enough, even if we don't know. When I prayed this morning, you'd knock down any barrier to making much of you and the enjoyment of you in song. So Lord, I pray you'd help us to worship. Fill us with your spirit. Cause your truth to reign over us.